Ahsoka, I am so sorry about everything. You have our most humble apologies, little Soka. The Council was wrong to accuse you. You have shown such great strength and resilience in your struggle to prove your innocence. This is the true sign of a Jedi Knight. This was actually your great trial. Now we see that. We understand that the Force works in mysterious ways. And because of this trial, you have become a greater Jedi than you would have otherwise. Back into the Order, you may come. They're asking you back, Ahsoka. I'm asking you back. It's time for Send in the Clones! Join your hosts, Buto and Robbie, on an epic journey through a galaxy far, far away as they follow the escapades of Anakin Skywalker and the Jedi Knights with the clone army of the Republic in their struggle against Count Dooku and the droid army of the evil Separatists. So step in and prepare for adventure because it's time to send in the clones! In this episode, Tarkin suggests that Ahsoka be expelled from the Jedi Order to be tried for murder. Anakin finds that Barriss Offee is the rogue Jedi responsible for this dastardly plot. Now proven innocent, Ahsoka refuses to return to the Jedi Order and will instead forge her own path. Hey, troops, it's your old buddy Bucho. I'm a Clone Wars rookie on my first ever watch of the Clone Wars. And next to me in the dropship on his third ever watch of the Clone Wars, he's the Anakin to my Ahsoka. It's your trusty bro, Robbie. How's it going, everyone? We are going to talk about the 108th episode in the StarWars.com Clone Wars chronology written by Charles Murray, who's written this whole final thriller arc of Season 5. And this one is directed by... Davey... Phil... Arnai? Davey... I figured since that's the third time I've done that joke, I'd have to go out high or do something <laughs> extra stupid. <laughs> but I don't know why I'm doing it for this episode, because this is far from a stupid episode, Robbie. This is Season 5, Episode 20, The Wrong Jedi. So, Robbie, let's roll out with you letting us know what you remembered about the final episode of Season 5. Also, formerly considered the final episode of The Clone Wars once the show found itself off Comedy Central and without a home for a while. What did you remember about The Wrong Jedi before you rewatched it again this week? And how many times have you watched this episode? Or had you watched it before you rewatched it this week? Well, I mean, I've probably seen it probably four times total. You know, I, I remember having to watch it again just so I could, like almost immediately after I saw it the first time, so I could wrap my head around it all and just go, wow. Yeah, man, tears. It's weird how there are some episodes that I've talked about before where it's almost like you don't realize how much you like a character until something happens to him that's very traumatic or bad or whatever. You know, I talked about R2, you know, especially the second time I, I watched the whole series. The uh, episodes where R2 is like really in trouble, there's a, even though I know, I know as well as anyone else that R2 is going to be fine, you know, because he's in episode four and episode three and all these other movies, but there's, there's something that it just makes you kind of realize how much you love these characters and and I did not know how much I loved Ahsoka until this episode, at least the first time, right? I mean, that just kind of cemented her as one of the most important Star Wars characters. You know, we, I mean, if you think about it, we've seen more of Ahsoka than we have of Luke yeah. or Han or Leia or any of these other characters that we've at least 
you know, my generation we grew up with. Sure. There's a video out on YouTube, and there's probably plenty of them, where it just kind of shows like Ahsoka's story. You know, it shows her, you know, that first appearance in the movie and, you know, how she kind of grows and all this stuff. And it's just like, it's heartbreaking. And it's one of those where it's just like, Ahsoka's awesome. She's one of the best characters. And then, I mean, there's just so many things. There's so many things in this episode that just make you appreciate how they wove her in to Star Wars lore as one of the, you know, one of the most interesting, one of the, one of the most tragic characters in Star Wars. It's awesome. It's awesome stuff. So yeah, I mean, I, I remember this one very vividly. There's certain things like, you know, I kind of forgot that, you know, Anakin confronts Asajj, you know, there's little conversations or little lines that I forgot, but I mean, the, of course, the main storyline, you know, how can you, how can you forget it once you've seen it? Well, that main storyline opens with Tarkin declaring that the Senate insists that Ahsoka be expelled from the Jedi Order so that she can be tried by a Republic military tribunal rather than by the Jedi Order itself. And so, after Master Obi-Wan's insistence that the Jedi Order must stand behind Ahsoka, gets rebuffed by Kiyadi Mundi and Stacey Teen and Mace Windu, Ahsoka gets called to the Chamber of Judgment, where... After the council puts Ahsoka through a trial, which Anakin calls out as a charade or a charade, depending on how you want to pronounce that, <laughs> Ahsoka has her Padawan braid stripped and she's expelled from the Jedi Order and turned over to the Republic courts. And so a few things that I noted from these two early scenes, Robbie, that Master Yoda mentions that the dark side is clouding everything. So I imagine that Yoda and the other Jedis have been maybe trying to reach out with their feelings to let the Force guide them on this case but that somehow their force sensors are being kind of blocked or scrambled by there being so much dark side signal in there because of Sidious. And a second note I have is that I really wish Master Klo had spoken up as a character witness in Ahsoka's defense again like he did in the previous episode, but he doesn't in this episode. And three is that we got these temple guards with these gold lightsabers. Oh yeah, I mean it's one of my, uh, it's one of my favorite designs in... Well, I guess on Coruscant, you know, there's the the other design that always sticks out to me are those uh, the blue guards, you know, with their almost Roman look to them. I just really love the design of these things. We just never really get to see them do much, but man, what a cool looking design. Yeah, I just remember thinking, I love that little scene before they go in there and Anakin is pacing around like a nervous father, you know? I just... He's so anxious, yeah. There's so much in this episode to unpack. I almost feel like... I mean, the, the council itself, right? The Jedi Council chamber, right? Is already a little... A little over the top. But then this chamber of judgment just seems even more over the top. <laughs> and I'm not sure if it was intentional, but it almost seems... Um, there's something very... Almost power-hungry. The way that they just kind of loom over her you know what i mean there's something really weird about it but at the same time it's you I mean you could say well yeah it's all part of the idea that the jedi have gotten a little a little power hungry i don't know what you call it i don't even know if it's if i'm being uh too harsh i don't know what do you think am i, am I being weird here i just i, did, I feel like it's very empire ish emperor type power this kind of display i don't know it just seems like a lot yeah it's odd that you see 
the Jedi's lit from below as well, so they look kind of sinister, you know, the lights are shining up at their faces, which, you know, when you're, especially when you're a kid, you know, what you do is you put a torch under your chin because it makes you look more sinister. So everything about that environment makes them weirdly look intimidating. And, you know, the way they're looking down, it does feel very power trippy and really puts you on a soccer side, you know. Yeah. It really emphasizes how much of an underdog she is, surrounded by all of these masters and how they're all way above her. I mean, I've got the higher ground, Robbie. Yeah, yeah. I always want the higher ground. Yeah. Anakin should have learned his lesson, right? But, hey, what are you going to do? Well, what we're going to do is after a magnificent establishing <laughs> shot of the plaza, we're going to go to the Republic Center for Military Operations. We go to Padme and Anakin with Ahsoka in her cell, where we learn that Padme will defend Ahsoka at a trial and that Anakin will go after Ventress and that Ahsoka thinks that Anakin is the only one on the council who stood up for her. And so two things I noted here were that one, it seems like forever since Padme was part of an episode and two, unfortunately and sadly, Ahsoka doesn't know that at the very least, Obi-Wan also had her back, which is a little bit sad for Ahsoka not knowing that Obi-Wan had her back, but it's also sad for Obi-Wan that she doesn't know that, right? Yeah, I mean, because I'm a... And why doesn't Anakin tell her? I... That, I don't know. But that's one of those things where, because I'm such an Obi-Wan fan, I'm kind of always watching him in this episode. And, man, some of the... the, (laughs) I'm telling you. It's like, especially, you know, the end, right? There's a... Maybe this is too early, but Obi-Wan's face when Ahsoka turns Anakin down. Yeah. It's so good, and it's dramatic, and it's, it's, it's about as perfect as it could be. Well, of course, that's when Anakin drops down into the lower depths to hunt Ventress, and he tracks her down without any trouble at all. So apparently Anakin's search skills allow him to find not only the correct level among the hundreds of levels, but also the correct person among the presumably million or so on that level. So that's the force in action, I guess. But that leads to this fairly short but very fun chase scene as Ventress who, unfortunately for her, has zero lightsabers at her disposal since she was mugged for them by a mystery assailant in the last episode. And that's when we see Ventress try to evade Anakin. But it doesn't go well for her. Anakin is having a good day. And so Ventress finds herself being forced choked and made to answer a few questions from Anakin. And after some typically snarling exchanges between the two, Ventress gives Anakin the all-important case-breaking Barris offy lead and i guess now i can talk about what i didn't want to talk about last time about how the character model of that mystery assailant in the previous episode was the moment that i realized what i maybe should have realized earlier that it was barris who was behind all of this and there are some reasons not to think that i mean for one thing she's just an apprentice herself as far as i know or maybe she's graduated by that time i'm not sure but whatever she's doing to set up this whole terrorist operation is super sophisticated so it feels like if this is a padawan this is a very 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 high level padawan who's been doing it and so that was one of the things that threw me off the scent and i'd been thinking maybe it was venturous maybe it was maul someone who was a much more high level operative but it's also a compliment to the way that the designers of the show make these character models that when i saw that mystery assailant just as i mentioned last week how venturous's character model is so distinct that I immediately knew it was her you know it's her before that helmet ever comes off as soon as I saw that mystery assailant I twigged oh wait that's Barris and then you think wait a minute Barris also knows that she's at that factory etc so 
that was the moment when my guess and my prime suspect I guess became Barris and one of the things I noted from this Anakin and Ventress meeting were that obviously more time spent in these lower depths environments is very welcome I'm happy anytime we're down there I love that as an environment two Ventress calls Ahsoka a little rat which we've heard before from Ventress I think as far back as a cloak of darkness the first time they scrap and which for some reason I always enjoy hearing out of Ventress I guess because I just like it when villains resort to name calling or something I'm not sure it's just fun there's something fun about it it just helps remind that this is still a character who's at the very most an anti-hero you know Ventress she may not be full-on villain anymore but she's definitely not one of the good guys and three when Ventress accuses Anakin of abandoning Ahsoka Anakin doesn't spend any time or energy on denying it even though we know full well that Anakin has never for a second abandoned Ahsoka or doubted his Padawan is innocent has he? I mean unless I'm mistaken he's been 1138% on her side this whole time but Ventress says I was abandoned by my master and now she's been abandoned by her master which just isn't true because Anakin never abandoned her but also it's interesting that Anakin doesn't waste any time on selfish thoughts of defending his honor I guess against Ventress and maybe part of it is that he doesn't care enough about Ventress's opinion of him to defend it but maybe it's also just that he in that moment is thinking more about what can I do using this information to help my Padawan. Does that read like that to you too? Well, I never really, I didn't spend a whole lot of time thinking about that. But as you bring it up, to me, it almost feels like, I almost feel like it's like planting almost like a seed of doubt in his mind. But it could be, like you said, it could be, you know, your opinion is worth less than nothing to me. So why would I even entertain that thought? But I kind of feel like there's, uh, and knowing Anakin, you know, and knowing his character and the way that he thinks, you might think that he may take the blame for it himself anyway you know what i mean it's, sure. i mean there's he might say oh, i should have done this i should have done that you know and it's those things that kind of dwell you know the things that make you dwell on those sorts of things that's a pathway to the dark side right yeah, so it's right. it is completely in his character to do both of those things to take it to heart but also at least on the surface say yeah you're I don't care what you think, and let's move past that. But I, I bet you that planted a seed, though, for sure. Well, of course, that's when Ahsoka is led into a trial, into this massive vertical shaft thing. I don't even know what you call this room. The trial room, the, whatever it is, it's huge and foreboding. And that's where Tarkin and Padme make their opening statements, including the minor detail that Admiral Tarkin will be seeking the death penalty for Ahsoka, which shouldn't come as any sort of shock. I mean, technically she's being accused of a massive multiple murder and a terrorist act. And then we see Anakin paying Barris a visit, which of course turns nasty when Barris outs herself as the villainous mastermind behind the bombing and also behind framing her friend Ahsoka. That's one of the reasons I didn't want to think it was Barris last week as well, because these two seem like friends, you know, which makes it super sad that Barris was behind it. And of course that leads to Anakin and Barris fighting their way out of Barris's room and fighting their way along hallways and then fighting their way out of a window and into a courtyard where good old Master Teresa Nube with his white lightsaber is training a class of Padawans which happens to include a heroic little band of Padawans from earlier in the season. And my notes here are one, both Barris and Anakin are going at each other dual wielding style. They're fighting over Ahsoka's fate pretty much. 
using Ahsoka style. Two, for me there's always something a little bit magic about seeing other people being spectators essentially, watching a lightsaber duel. The first other example I can think of from the show being the clone troopers watching Anakin and Ventress dueling on Kamino in the Ark Troopers episode in season three. And perhaps what it most recalls is Luke seeing Vader and Obi-Wan all the way back in A New Hope. There's something about these moments where other people see lightsaber duels happening that is just a little bit magic for me and here we see these padawans look up and see anakin and barris scrapping it out on that upper level balcony and that leads to my third note which is that barris is really 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 good for a padawan which i assume she still is i mean in that previous episode we saw how easily she handled ahsoka even though she was using weapons that she had never even held before let alone fought with right barris was not even using her own weapon when she fought Ahsoka, she was using Ventress's lightsabers and wearing a helmet she'd never worn before. And she was far too much for Ahsoka. And Ahsoka was off balance and surprised and what have you, but still, that was another reason that it felt like it had to be someone that wasn't just a Padawan. It was another way maybe the show was trying to throw us off the scent that it was a Padawan. And here, in this episode, Barris is definitely second best to Anakin, but she does manage to get her licks in before it's over for her. Like at that point, she force throws Anakin into that plinth in the hallway. And then shortly after that, she kicks Anakin over there like that four-story drop. And so it's certainly not completely one-sided against Anakin. And this is someone who also not only absolutely wrecked shop through a high-security military prison, but who somehow was able to tamper with the security surveillance system in that prison, in that high security prison, enough to wipe out almost all of the video and to leave only the video of Ahsoka with Letter and to remove only the sound from that video. So it's really such a shame that this kid broke bad because this is one heck of a talented young <laughs> operative we're talking about. Oh, yeah. And that's the thing, too, is that we don't really know how much time has passed between... I can't remember the episode where it's an obvious time jump because the... Uh, the character models change, right? Yeah, the character models have changed, so you're not exactly sure what the length of time is. There's a part of me that kind of thinks, and maybe this is just a maybe like an oversight, but it almost seems like if Barris was so involved with all of this stuff, you would have thought that Luminara would have been yeah. somewhere in this, you know? I mean, yeah. I don't know. Even at the end, when she's sort of outed as the uh, person that's been doing all this, you would think that Luminara would be present in some in some way. Yeah, her absence is definitely felt throughout this episode, especially, yeah. It's just a little, it's a little weird. I remember thinking that it felt, at least the first time, I remember feeling a little bit like wait what why you know the way that she explains herself at the end in a way it's one of those things where she's doing something terrible but she's not wrong <laughs> you know the stuff that she says isn't exactly wrong and of course you know murdering people is probably not the best way to, to get your opinion across to people but yeah. at the same time it's kind of like there's some truth to what she's saying which also makes it you know when you think back to the beginning of the fight with anakin she says something like, you know, oh, these suit me. And I'm like, but then you paint her toward the end as more of a sympathetic. I don't know about sympathetic, but at least she's saying stuff that kind of makes sense. So why would she think that red lightsabers suited her? Yeah. I don't know. It's very uneven there. It's something that, I, that I've kind of always had a problem with because I don't see her as like completely evil, but I don't know. It's just a weird a weird way that they did that because it it just feels uneven to me 
Sure. You know, you either make her all bad, you know, she's falling off the wagon and she's using the dark side all the time, or she's more sympathetic. She, I mean, obviously thoughtful with the way that she explains herself in that chamber of whatever it is. <laughs> whatever that place is called. Um, the chamber of even more judgment. Maybe it's just another chamber of judgment, right? Every massive organization has a chamber of judgment. We've seen the Jedi Temple one. Yeah, I guess so. This is the Republic Military Facilities Chamber of Judgment. Yeah, I don't know. You didn't have a chamber of judgment at your work? No, no, but you're actually making me think that we definitely need one. There ne- definitely needs to be a place where people sit higher than everyone else yeah. and stare down at them as they make their case for, I don't want to do this report anymore. And anyway, <laughs> uh... All I'm trying to say is it just feels uneven and it seems weird. It feels rushed. Like what Barris goes through feels rushed, almost as if they just wanted to pull a character that Ahsoka knew to let this twist work. And the only character that that had develop a relationship with Ahsoka outside of Anakin himself, you know, and I guess Padme is Barris, you know, but partly that's why it makes it sad as well. But it also feels... Like, you know, obviously it feels like it sort of comes out of nowhere and that's part of what you want from a twist. But you also, when a twist happens, if it's done right, you should also feel like, oh yeah, now it all makes sense. In the same way that I realized that Barris was the culprit when I recognized her form and I realized, oh, Barris knows where she is too. That makes sense. In terms of the plot, you also want it to make sense in terms of the character. And we did have Barris sort of questioning maybe a bit of the Jedi way earlier in the arc when her and Ahsoka were walking down that hallway. And there was that chat that they had, you know, the first time when they went on that road trip with the medical supplies and brain invaders. They have that mm-hmm. conversation in the in the mess area. So there's definitely been a sense that she's questioning things, but this is such a hard turn for the character that it still unfortunately feels a little bit underdeveloped. But I do want to say that in that moment of Barris's confession, Meredith Salinger's performance is absolutely top-notch just in terms of the emotion, the way that she holds both anger and almost a kind of grief, like a slight wavering in her voice as she expresses that anger that suggests that her fury comes from a deep sadness at what the Jedi have become in her eyes. I just thought that performance was definitely worth noting. It's really top-notch and heartfelt. And also, speaking of performances, this is an animation thing. Ahsoka's look at the end of the scene after Barriss is led away and Anakin turns to look across the chasm between him and his Padawan at that moment. He has an expression that's a mixture of relief and affection and pride and solidarity and maybe even a little bit of an apology. And then Ahsoka briefly smiles back, but her smile is so sorrowful and it's a smile which does express gratitude toward Anakin, but also there's so much loss in the smile. You can sense that she's lost something in that moment. And then that smile fades and her head drops. And it's the saddest I can remember any character looking in the show, I think, aside from maybe Lux when Steeler died. Maybe, so let's just say the saddest I can remember seeing anyone look who isn't actually mourning someone. So as much as we might be pulling the episode up on maybe a little bit of character writing the performances from both Meredith Salinger and from Ashley Eckstein and Matt Lanter I mean everyone who's acting in these episodes doing the voice side of the acting is absolutely in top form and the animators as well just firing just in top form top-notch work from all of them and Kevin Kiner's score I mean we'll maybe talk a bit more about Kevin Kiner's score later but through this whole arc which 
you know, if you watch the behind the scenes, you find that he's used a full orchestra for this arc, something that he hadn't had before, and he was on his A-game as well. So whatever we might question about the way that the story developed, you know, there's a lot of people doing just awesome work in these scenes leading up to Barris's confession. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because after I watched this, I dove into some of the special features on StarWars.com about the episode, but I was also looking into what people thought about it back then. Right. You know, what people were discussing. One of the things which I find very interesting is that people were very, very angry that Barris was the traitor because in the expanded universe, she had been a hero and she'd been all these things. Oh. And so I just found it was like, wow, that's interesting that, you know, people are still talking about the expanded universe. I mean, of course, think about it. At this time, there was no Disney involved. We didn't know that the Clone Wars wasn't going to continue on TV at this point. We just knew that this was the season finale. Yes, it was very good. It was very heartbreaking, all this kind of stuff. And we're getting closer to episode three. There can't be much more left and all this stuff. But then people are mad about the fact that they took one of their expanded universe characters and changed her character for the sake of the show. And it just, it's one of those things where it just reminds you of, God, everything that we've been through since this time. I mean, gosh, the Disney wiping out what they consider to be the legends stories, you know, and that there are people that grew up with those stories and their idea of who Luke is, of the whole Jason and Jaina thing, you know, Han and Leia's kids, right? All of those things. People grew up reading these stories and and getting attached to these characters and getting attached to these stories and then Disney comes along and wipes it all out and they're angry about it and all this stuff and I just found it interesting I'm like wow so even before that (laughs) we had this same conversation that almost in a how dare they kind of way which I found just really super interesting. Well, it's almost, we talked a little bit about it with Hope and Chris from J Guys and Jedi about how at the panel at which they met when Chris was on the panel and Hope was in the audience a lot of the questions were from fans who felt like the show was contradicting certain things that were had been believed to be canon. And so there were definitely fans, you know, long before Disney came along and wiped out the EU, what was called the EU at the time, that really wanted the entire story of Star Wars to feel more consistent. So, yeah, it right. makes sense that they would have been mad that Barris had been turned into this villain when in the expanded material she was a hero. Yeah, I just, it's one of those things where, and I'm not saying anything bad about some of that stuff, because there's some great stories in there. I myself have read a few that I was very impressed with, and I like, and I can't help but think that they're canon until, like, for example, the Obi-Wan story, Kenobi, that takes place between episodes three and four, of him on Tatooine, and him kind of going on a little adventure, you know, and not being able to use his Jedi powers and all that stuff. I enjoyed that story. I really, really like it. Was that pre-Disney? Yes. That's old EU stuff that's now Legends? Yep. And it's just called Kenobi. And it's one of those where I almost feel like it's canon to me until something refutes it. Right. Because it was that good. But there's also some really bad stuff in the expanded universe. And for me, it's really no different now. I mean, I don't want to get off on a tangent there, but the canon EU has its own sets of issues. The comics sometimes go on weird tangents that are like... Wow, that is kind of dumb. But then again, it's supposed to be just that. It's expanded, you know? So, I don't know. I can't be too upset about that. But for me, the biggest thing is 
you know, as far as like for me, for notes for this section here, I thought it was interesting, the whole Barris thing, that it just feels weird that she's, you know, acting like Sith, but then almost acting like just a really mad Jedi. Right. And then you've got uh, Ian Abercrombie, you know, unfortunately passed away during the making of this arc. And so this was the first episode where we have Tim Curry oh, yeah. as the Emperor, which... A lot of people, like me included, I'm like, man, that just doesn't sound right. Yeah. But then you go, oh, it's Tim Curry. Wow, that's interesting. You definitely notice the difference because I hadn't known this behind the scenes thing. And now you hear Palpatine talking and this going, that doesn't sound like Palpatine at all. Yeah. But what's interesting, though, is that, you know, of course, he's in more episodes. And I kind of like what he does in those episodes. So even though he, he seems a little out of place in this one. You know, it's it's one of those things that, you know, it's interesting to see the different takes on the character, you know. And I love the fact that, man, when Anakin chokes Ventress, it's pretty brutal. Yeah. I mean, it looks very painful. It's, I don't know, I love that stuff. I love Anakin almost losing it, you know. I, there's something really awesome about it. Well, it was the first time that we saw him do that in that Brandon Vader's episode, maybe, near the end, when he chokes, what's his name, Poggle. Yeah. So, and another Barris connection, you know, just to, by coincidence. Yeah, but it was, uh, I just love that stuff. And yeah, I mean, I don't know how you want to get into it, but man, this final scene, wow. Well, there's the second to last scene first in the Tower of the Jedi Temple. Right. Which begins with Anakin, who'd had Ahsoka's back the whole way through, apologizing on behalf of all the Jedi in the Council for what Ahsoka's gone through. And then Master Plo apologizes on behalf of the council for the fact that they had accused her in the first place. And then Cece and Mundy praise Ahsoka's strength and resilience. And then Mace says that this was Ahsoka's great trial and it will make her a better Jedi. And finally, Master Yoda invites Ahsoka back into the Order. And that's when Anakin approaches Ahsoka and Anakin asks her to come back personally. And Anakin holds out his hand with Ahsoka's Jedi braid in it, and there's a pause. And in Anakin's eyes, here again, it's the animators just killing it. There's pride and there's affection. But in Ahsoka's eyes, there's doubt, and there's still a ton of sorrow. And when she reaches out her own hands to meet Anakin's, it's not to take her braid, it's to close Anakin's hand over that braid. And symbolically, it's almost as if she's closing a book. Closing a chapter of her journey, she tells Anakin, I'm sorry, Master, I'm not coming back. And then Ahsoka walks away from the Jedi Council and from Anakin. And then we get to that last scene. Maybe we'll just talk a little bit about this Jedi Council scene first before we go to the scene with just Ahsoka and Anakin. It's kind of, I mean, <laughs> we've talked about being disappointed in the Jedi all the way through, and it just feels like there should be more from this Jedi Council <laughs> by way of apology. On the one hand, it's true what Tarkin was saying, that all of the evidence was pointing to Ahsoka and what Master Yoda had been pointing out, that the dark side was clouding so much in the galaxy at that point that it was so hard for even these masters to really be able to connect with the Force and to be able to understand how anything was working in that time and they've dealt with Krell and they've dealt with Dooku and they know that Jedi sometimes go bad I mean we had that whole episode with the Citadel which set up the idea that sometimes Jedi's go bad so while we know Ahsoka so well because we've spent all this time with them most of the members of this council don't know that and some of them Mace especially he doesn't have a soft spot for Anakin and it's easy to imagine him thinking well if this is 
a Padawan that's been spending a lot of time with Anakin. Maybe she is guilty, but yeah. it's just a heartbreaking moment where at this point, I think Ahsoka still thinks that Anakin is the only one that had her back and Obi-Wan's there and Plo Koon's there. And Master Yoda did say when he announced the verdict back in the Chamber of Judgment part of the episode, he did say it's not unanimous, but overall the council has decided that you will be expelled from the Jedi Order. So just this moment where she stands again alone, but now not below them, not with them looming over her, now standing on the floor in front of her, praising her, apologizing to her. Somehow it's still frustrating. It still doesn't feel enough, you know? Yeah, and it's, I mean, Mace especially, it's like, how dare you, dude? You know? And I, I, I don't know if it was meant to be that way, but it sure feels that way. Yeah. Where I'm like, well, all you sons of blah, blah, blah. You know, just, oh man, you just want to go off. And... Even Yoda, you're just kind of like, but how? How do you how do you make this decision? And I love when Anakin chases her out of the room, when he takes off. The look on Yoda's face, yeah, you know, is great. And I love that Obi-Wan looks distraught and wants to go after him and you know, he's he's stopped by Plo Koon. The look on his face is anguish. I mean, it was like, wow, if you're not already tearing up at this point, I mean, come on. I mean, it's powerful stuff, you know, and especially if you've if you've really cared about these characters along this journey. I don't see how you're not moved by this. And when Anakin catches up to Ahsoka outside, he asks why she's leaving. And Ahsoka replies, if the council didn't trust me, how can I trust myself? And this was a line that stuck with me and made me think back to Ahsoka questioning herself when she was talking to Barris in the hallway and about how she's had these doubts about herself somehow. And so where it's and so while it kind of seems weird to say if the council didn't trust me, how can I trust myself? I think what she's saying is that she has had these doubts and she has felt like an unworthy Padawan because she has trouble with what she talked to Barris about, the attachment side of things. Does that make sense to you? How did you take that line? Why would she not trust herself when she has known all the time that she was innocent in this particular case? So I don't think she's talking about this case, right? In this moment, right. she has had doubts right. the whole way through. And she's talked to Barris a little bit about them. Unfortunately, her former best friend Barris, who tried to... I mean, that's so sad. I wish it wasn't Barris. But anyway, we'll, we'll move <laughs> past that. The council doesn't trust me. How can I trust myself? What is it that she thinks she can't trust herself with, do you think? I think it's the separation of feelings, you know? I mean, I honestly think that it's a little vague and on purpose, I think. And I think throughout the years, you know, we've learned a little more about her in canon books and other series. You know, we've learned a few things about Ahsoka. But at this point, I think it's intentionally vague. But I think more than anything, I think that she's seeing the faults of the Jedi. It feels more like she's seeing the faults in herself, though. Like she doesn't blame the council for it that's what's interesting about it the council doesn't trust me she doesn't say so blow them she says so how can i trust myself that's what's interesting about it she walks away not because she's disappointed in the council per se but because the council not trusting her she sees that as a reflection of the fact that she doesn't trust herself and that she has these doubts you know that's what i found was interesting about it because she could be angry at the council and maybe she even should be that they didn't have her back more and that anakin I mean, at this point, I think she still believes Anakin was the only one. But she's not angry at the council. She's not walking away because 
she's angry at them. She's walking away because she doubts herself. I mean, it could be. I mean, I don't. I, it's, I guess it's because I know from Ahsoka's overarching character. Right. I see it a little differently. I guess here's where we get into the difference between what she decides later and what she's thinking and feeling right at this moment. Like at this moment, she decides to walk away. Or maybe she's even just saying this to Anakin and she's not being truthful about it. Maybe she just, this is a line she's giving to Anakin so that he will let her walk away more easily. I don't know, but it feels like she's being honest with him and honest with herself in this moment. And the reason she's walking away because of the doubts that she has in herself and her ability to be a good Jedi. I, I don't know. I just, I guess knowing Ahsoka, I see her more in tune with Luke in Return of the Jedi, where he's being told by Obi-Wan and Yoda that he has to face Darth Vader and take down the Emperor and all this stuff. Right. But he finds the balance and the the attachment to his father is what actually ends up saving him. And I guess this is where we get into some really strange things because you can... Lucas has never intended for there to be a gray Jedi, but I believe that in a lot of ways, I believe that that's what Ahsoka is meant to be. She's meant to be sort of that person in the middle in the force that sees the benefit of attachments so i I kind of feel like in a way that's what she's saying is that she doesn't trust herself to be a pure jedi and i think it ties into what she says at the end and what and what anakin says the whole i've been thinking about it too and and she says i know i think that's what he's intending now again lucas never liked that idea he always said that balance of the force was the eradication of the Sith, which to me doesn't seem like balance at all. I mean, balance is literally <laughs> this weighed with this, right? It's not the eradication of one. You know, to, to me, the, the balance would be offset in the light direction if you eradicated all the Sith. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think Lucas looks at it almost as, as if there's an equilibrium that comes with harmony and the Jedi are about harmony and that the Sith are chaos. And so everything in the universe tries to find equilibrium, tries to find balance. But there is also chaos in the universe. So, I mean, you can think of it as like a pool of water. When it's that balanced, it's in harmony, it's equilibrium. You put some chaos into it, you create those waves. That's what the Sith do. And so to bring balance, you have to get rid of the chaos, let it come back to balance, let it come back to equilibrium. And that's what the Jedi do. And that's what the Jedi are. That's that harmony thing. I don't know. I feel like that's the way that Lucas has always thought of it. Rather than balance between good and bad, you know, because that seems like an odd idea, you know, that what we want to bring balance of the force is to have equal evil and good. That doesn't seem like a very Lucasian idea at all, you know? Well, right. But that's the whole problem, I guess, with the term is that in order to be the perfect good, right, you kind of have to get rid of all attachments. You shed yourself of all you fear to lose. I mean, that's what Yoda tells Anakin in in episode three, right? Sure. So it's one of those things where it's such a foreign thing, you know, this idea. To be a Jedi, to throw away all attachments and all that, to be like a monk. Yeah, to be completely emotionless, you know? Yeah. And that's not human. So I think that in a lot of ways, I think the idea of the gray Jedi or the one in the middle that's meant to be more of that human element. And isn't the story that the Jedi fail because they've gone too far in that direction? I mean, isn't that what Lucas is actually telling us? Even in the first trilogy, you know, even in the original trilogy, Luke wins by defying Yoda and by defying Obi-Wan and their old ideas of what a Jedi is. Right. So part of Lucas's thesis statement is that this monk-like existence is not the way to a true harmony. Right. 
But it's still weird to me because he hates the idea of the Grey Jedi. But to me, that's what Luke has always been at the end. He's taken the best of what the Jedi are, but he also allows himself to love and to have attachments and to have friends and people that he cares for and would die for. I don't know. I just find it that, to me, Ahsoka is that... It's almost like it's one of those things where you can... Oh, man, you can go nuts thinking about it. Yoda's talking about, oh, there is another. Could he have been talking about Ahsoka in this moment? (laughs) No, I don't think so. But it's fun to think about those sorts of things. Because Ahsoka is, to me, is that one in the middle. And it's so much fun to think about. And uh, she's she's a special one. Well, you mentioned there about what Lucas likes and doesn't like about the idea of Grey Jedis. And one of the things that's in those behind-the-scenes commentaries is... Dave Filoni mentioning that Lucas had generally been of the opinion that the way that Ahsoka's story should end should be with her dying. And Filoni had always wanted her to live. And, you know, this is something that he seems to continue to hold on to. And that's where we get the scene where Anakin asks, what about him? That he had stood by Ahsoka. And Ahsoka says she knows and she's grateful, but that it's not about Anakin that she can't stay any longer and that she has to leave the Jedis and that she has to leave Anakin too to sort this out on my own, as she says. She turns away and Anakin looks away himself and that's when he tells Ahsoka that he understands walking away from the Order. And of course, that's when Ahsoka responds without looking back. She tells Anakin, I know. And those two words are loaded with so much meaning in Star Wars, a special meaning. Dave Filoni didn't have Ahsoka's last words to Anakin at the Jedi Temple be those two words by accident. Those two words in Star Wars can be thought of as being similar to As You Wish in The Princess Bride. <laughs> yeah. We see Wesley say it to Buttercup. And we also see, you know, it's not just a romantic love thing because Grandpa says it to his grandson. So it's about attachment in a way. It's about the deepest attachment. It's about love. And in Star Wars, from this point on, Maybe we can think of, I know, being the same kind of thing. We think of it as what Han said to Leia. And that was obviously a romantic love. But when we hear Ahsoka say to Anakin, there's no sense that it's a romantic love, but there is a lot of sense that it's about a deep attachment. Attachment is one of these constant themes. We've already talked about it in this conversation. One of the constant themes of Anakin's journey. And it's something that Ahsoka herself has struggled with at times. And we remember back to Christophsis. After the Republic victory... When Master Yoda sent Anakin and Ahsoka off to Teth together as Master and Padawan, and Obi-Wan told Master Yoda that he just hoped that Anakin was ready for the responsibility. And Master Yoda said, Ready he is to teach an apprentice. To let go of his pupil, a greater challenge will it be. And here in the final episode of Season 5 of The Clone Wars is where that challenge arrives for Anakin as his Padawan leaves him behind, as Ahsoka Tano walks away into that sunset, and Anakin can only watch her go. And I'm boiling my eyes out, Robbie. Yeah, it was... Uh, I even had trouble reading that. Yeah. The, well, here's the weird thing, is that I, I don't remember what I felt the first time. I think I felt shock. I was just shocked. I was like, what? You can't... That's okay, can't. No, but wait. Can't they? I don't know what to, I don't know what to think. I, sure. I think I was more shocked than anything, but of course, the second time that I watched it, I can guarantee you I was tearing up and this time I was really moved by the soundtrack oh yeah man the delivery the lighting I mean gosh I mean everything about it was just it was so perfect and uh you know you can tell Filoni he uh he's probably 
in a lot of ways, it's saying goodbye to this character. I mean, think about this moment, you know, for him. You know, he's saying goodbye to this character. He's basically letting go of Ashley. There's a lot of things that he's probably thinking about here. So hang on, just go back to the meta here. Did they know that they had been canceled off the Cartoon Network when they made this episode? I don't think so. Because they were expecting to go to eight seasons, right? So they were expecting three more seasons in which I assume we would have seen some of Ahsoka's journey away from the Jedi's. Unless he already knew they were cancelled, in which case he, this would have felt like a legit goodbye. I don't know. Yeah, and I feel like in a lot of ways, this whole episode, the way that it plays out, especially at the end, it really kind of feels not just like a season finale, but it could very well be a series finale. You could end it off right here and probably be pretty satisfied. Yeah. I mean, of course there's questions. There's going to be those things, but that's the beauty of Star Wars is that they live on in your own head, you know? And I mean, I had no idea what Ahsoka's journey was going to be after this. You know, I didn't know the next time we'd see her. I had no idea, you know, especially with Disney coming in and, you know, buying Lucasfilm and everything that came along with it. It was kind of like, what's going to happen? You know, and then we find out that the Clone Wars is canceled and you're like, oh my God, what are they going to do now? And I mean, there's, there were so many questions and, you know, of course now we've, I've got the benefit of, of hindsight now and I can, I can see where everything kind of lined up, but we still, it's not really clear where Dave sat in this whole thing. I mean, like, could this have been from his point of view? I mean, think about it. I mean, if he's Lucas's uh, right-hand man at this point in the real-life timeline, could Lucas have been thinking about this a long time ago? I mean, did he know what the plans were? Did he say that maybe we can use this as a as a way to say goodbye? I mean, I have no idea. It's so up in the air, and it's one of those questions that I keep waiting to hear the answer to because I think it's an interesting point of view. Like, when did you learn about it? When did you start making plans beyond it? Because, I mean, I I have to think that, especially when you see all the uh, episodes that were unfinished that were on StarWars.com for a long time that are now going to be in this new Season 7, when, you know, there were unfinished episodes that were turned into the Dark Disciple book. I mean, there's so many, there's so many questions. Like, how far was it planned out? Was it only eight, supposed to be eight? Six is only 13 episodes, so it's, it's very strange. But, I don't know, I find all of that just as interesting as the show just because i like the thought processes of of how you kind of form your path how do you make those decisions but and maybe you should i mean maybe there's people out there that actually know the answers to these questions but i don't yeah season six was on netflix is that right season six was after netflix picked them up and they had given them 13 episodes i want to say that the lost mi- that they're called the lost missions and i want to say that they I can't remember if it aired on Netflix first or if it came out on Blu-ray first because it was actually released as a separate season, but I honestly can't remember now. It's probably something that I should... (laughs) I should just... We could just look it up easily enough. I mean, this is not what we really do on this show. We we sort of comment on the episodes, but it's hard not to get into the meta side of the deal when you come to such a momentous episode as this. And, of course, before we finish, we've already mentioned it sort of in passing. The score from Kevin Kiner is just awesome in this whole episode and this whole arc. There's so many new takes on Ahsoka's theme especially. And we mentioned that there was these what I call action brass versions of it when she was making her escapes. And here we get these more mournful, sort of sorrowful, heartbreaking renditions of uh, Ahsoka's theme. And according to the behind the scenes material, this was the first time Kevin Kiner had access to a full orchestra. Apparently he went all the way to Prague on his own dime and his own time. And he made sure he didn't take that for granted at all. And Kevin Kiner was a big part of the vibe of that final part of the episode where courtesy of Dave Filoni's direction, 
and courtesy of Dave Filoni, apparently, according to him, pushing for something that George hadn't been keen on, but somehow convincing George that it was a good idea, it fades out at the end. Instead of the usual punch Mm -hmm. into that main theme, we roll out into a really beautiful rendition, another beautiful rendition of Ahsoka's theme that's it's on some kind of woodwind, I think. I don't know. I'm not that great with those sort of instruments. It sounds like it was like a bassoon or something similar. Maybe it's a Middle Eastern type of instrument. I'm not sure, but we can't finish this episode and this arc as a whole without giving extra props to Kevin Kiner. And so, before we finish, Robbie, we always try and pick a standout shot of the episode. I'm just going to tell you straight out front, I don't have one. That whole last sequence... I can't pick one, Robbie. I just couldn't pick one. Did you do a better job than I could of being strong enough to pick a single moment? Because I couldn't. I think the one that kind of encapsulates it is... I want to say it's at the very, very beginning of the scene when Ahsoka is on the extreme left side of the screen and Anakin is on the extreme right side of the screen. They're very, They're kind of small. To me, it's kind of similar to the shot in The Last Jedi with Kylo Ren on the extreme left side. Luke on the extreme right side and it's just a kind of a wide shot that whole scene right there but it's the side profile shots that I really really like kind of showing the uh I mean the shot of you know kind of the camera over Anakin's shoulder as she's walking down the steps is is one of course as it fades out but it's the side shots that I really I really really just love yeah well, the very final shot we cut to just Ahsoka alone and Anakin's not even in the shot so it really emphasizes her aloneness at that moment and she literally I guess walks into the sunset I assume that's the sun setting it can be hard to tell on these on these worlds Robbie yeah. in this galaxy is that a sunrise is a sunset I don't know but I think we can assume in terms of symbolism that that's a sunset and you know she walks down those steps and she just is out of sight out of Anakin's life and we are out of season five of the show and so before we bring this one in for a landing we need to sum up and give our ratings Robbie so after your latest most recent watch of The Wrong Jedi. How did you like him? Where does The Wrong Jedi sit on that four-star Robbie scale? Well, I don't think there's any question, right? I mean, this is a four out of four. I mean, even with the problems that I have with, you know, sort of Barris's seemingly quick turn, we don't know the whole story there. Not sure if we'll ever hear it or see it, but there's just so much in this episode that is so moving that I cannot give it anything less. And I do, before we completely wrap up, I do have two quick notes that I want to mention. Go for it. First is something that I completely forgot to bring up. And it was, I think it was the end of 517. I said something along the lines of, there's a note that I want to bring up at the end. Okay. As Anakin and Ahsoka are doing their kind of due diligence, talking about things and, you know, doing their investigation on this bomb, Barris walks by in the background. Oh, man. I gotta watch it again. She kind of gives a sly look. It's right. kind of fun to see that. And I made that note to try to talk about here, and I completely forgot to do it. And then the uh, the last quick note I want to just say is that I looked it up, and Terrace Nube's lightsaber is not white. It is a cyan color. Huh. It's very, very bright, but it is cyan. And, and in screenshots, you can see the blue tint around it, but it's just very, very bright. So I don't know if that changes your viewpoint on it or anything but oh yeah i mean it wasn't like a key point of the episode it was just that that scene goes past pretty fast i did watch it a few times but it does look very white i gotta say it's hard to see to me it looks white to me too sure but every screenshot that people bring up they show that it's a cyan color so it's a lighter blue than like say anakin's 
lightsaber or, okay. or Obi-Wan. But anyway, there you go. Four out of four. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's plenty of detail in this episode to concentrate on. There's so much in it already. I mean, look at where we are. What are we like? Look how long we've been talking about it, Robbie. It's just, there's just so much in the episode that yeah. even this one little detail of Teresa Nube's lightsaber can catch your eye and be part of the conversation. And I don't need to say any more about the episode. I give it one out of one, walking away out of one. Sounds good. And that is mission accomplished for season five, episode 20, for season five as a whole. So, Robbie, if the troops out there have their own responses to the episode itself or anything that we've said in the episode please let them know how can they reach us sure i'd love to hear them we are bucho and robbie at gmail twitter and instagram that's b-u-c-h-o-a-n-d-r-o-b-b-y yes sir and of course the troops can join us again next time for the 109th episode in the starwars.com clone wars chronology season six episode one the unknown and until then, this is your old buddy Bucho, alongside your trusty pal Robbie, and we are out. Remember, you can support sending the clothes for free simply by rating and reviewing the show on iTunes or any other podcast platform, and Bucho and Robbie will read the review on a future feedback episode. And speaking of feedback episodes, you can also send either a text or an audio message of 60 seconds or less to Bucho and Robbie at gmail.com. will be with you always why are you doing this the council didn't trust me so how can I trust myself what about me I believed in you I stood by you I know you believe in me Anakin and I'm grateful for that but this isn't about you I can't stay here any longer not now The Jedi Order is your life. You can't just throw it away like this. Ahsoka, you are making a mistake. Maybe. But I have to sort this out on my own. Without the Council. And without you. I understand. More than you realize, I understand wanting to walk away from the Order. I know.